Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan and I'm joined today by Alfred. Hello. And Tom. Hi. Today we are going to be discussing the work done by prison inmates. Though some people might be keen to ignore or dismiss this as an issue, the existence of a literally captive workforce has impacts that go far beyond jailhouse walls. Some countries have outlawed the practice of requiring inmates to work. The U.S. is not one of them. 13th Amendment outlawed slavery, but allows servitude to be imposed on those convicted of a crime. The result is that prisoners can legally be punished for not working in some states, they can be paid nothing for their labor in others, and even the most progressive states pay working inmates far less than minimum wage. Because they are not entitled to the same protections as ordinary workers, prisoners become a valuable resource for states and private companies alike. The New York Times wrote an article in August headlined The Incarcerated Women Who Fight California's Wildfires, which talks about just that. At any time, more than half of those fighting the state's raging wildfires are inmates doing so for less than $2 an hour. Their meager pay is nonetheless higher than other prison workers, a fact which reflects the danger of their job. They do this having received as little as three weeks' training. Compare that to the three years of apprenticeship undergone by civilian firefighters. Firefighting <clears throat> in the wilderness and in uh, forests and uh, uh, areas such as that is one of the most dangerous uh, occupations uh, in, around in the United States. Um, the people are regularly die in this, uh, in, in this, and it's 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 a very uh, precarious and, and difficult uh, job to say the least. Even for the people who are professionals and trained. And they're highly paid. Yeah, they are very highly paid, but deservedly given the the risks that they're taking. And the inmates themselves have become such a vital part of fighting California's wildfires that efforts to reduce California's prison population, which is overflowing, the prisons are famously overcrowded, have been met with pushback because of the labor source that these inmates provide. In 2014, the state's courts were discussing this issue, and the attorney general's office said would said this would severely impact fire camp participation, which in the middle of a drought and wildfire season was, you know, a danger for the city, the state's residents. But there's a matter of, you know, this creates a perverse incentive. Yes, California, I think they save, according to their estimates, um, Prison, the prison labor doing the firefighting, I think, saves them something like $170 million over the course of a year. Mm-hmm. So they're incentivized in the worst possible way, which is probably what we should, we could go talk about right now, because almost the entire reason to have prison labor um, it dates back to something even more nefarious. It isn't simply a form of punishment, or it isn't a, it's not just, oh, it's a smart way of leveraging, you know, workers. It's, it's beyond that. When the 13th Amendment uh, is, is presented, um, it ends slavery, but it simply shifts 
a type of servitude to incarcerated people. And of course, who becomes the most incarcerated class and sort of you know, demographic of people in America? It's African Americans. African Americans. So it's just another way of continuing that that push. Except this time, um, there's a nice, neat legal precedent that allows it, and makes and people look at prisoners as deserving punishment, right? So why the hell shouldn't we? They're they're prisoners. They deserve to be punished, and let's just exploit them for that. Even though you know they might be there because they're in fact exploitable. Yeah, and I think that this <clears throat> fits in uh, very well with the last uh, 40 years of uh, neoliberalism and uh, <clears throat> the push to cut budgets and uh, cut services uh, and uh, downsize the uh, uh, public service sector. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have had a push you know, f- towards austerity, <clears throat> and um, this is a way of filling that gap um, with very cheap free labor. Well, I, don't, I also... I don't know that everybody really knows the extent to which prison labor exists. Um, I mean, I know I, I mean, full, full disclosure, both my parents have spent time in prison and I, they never, that was never meant. I never heard that. Um, I didn't know that prison labor existed until I was probably an adult. Um, and even as an adult, I didn't know the extent of it until fairly recently. You know, there are, you know, cartoons and the public image of people breaking rocks on a chain gang, but right. you know, we don't really think much beyond that. Yeah, but there's telephone. There, I mean, there's cert, you know, providing tech support and things like that. But I know I, I, the first things I heard were like producing cheap objects like wallets or whatever that kind of thing. And often these are for private industries that are yeah. using prison labors as. A way not just to cut costs, but to undercut workers who would otherwise be making at least minimum wage. Absolutely. And in any manufacturing <clears throat> industry, the uh, the number one push is for uh, cutting costs, cutting labor costs, and uh, cutting the cost that it uh, takes to maintain a labor force. Um, in this case, uh, it costs nothing to maintain the labor force. It is a direct... Um, uh, it's a boondoggle that that you know the, <laughs> the the private industry doesn't have to house people. Oh. It doesn't have to pay people. Nothing. These people are housed um, at the taxpayer's expense, mind you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a free giveaway to to large corporations who use this type of labor. And and the standards they probably have are much lower. I'm sure. I mean, there's no protections for workers in prisons because I mean. They barely have protection themselves. They also don't have a voice. Um, They're not, you know, they're not able to go out into the streets, let's say, and and protest, you know, their low wages. Um, They don't get access to media. They're invisible in a way. They are. They're invisible and they're plentiful. Now, the New York Times article we mentioned earlier makes a point of mentioning that the women, and it's a, there are a lot of men involved in this firefighting as well. The story was specifically about women, but that they have a choice in the matter, which, mm. n- while technically true, it sort of muddies the water about, you know, what extent, you know, prisoners have any choice. If the choice is between working $2 an hour fighting fires or making 80 cents a day doing less dangerous work or, you know, sitting in a prison, you know, that's not a choice. That's a dilemma. And not all prisons make it even optional, apparently. There's somewhere... Yes, there are some states where 
they don't have to provide the option. Yeah, you get punished for being what they say out of program or off the program or something. And this <clears throat> this goes back, you know, to Victorian times when they had uh, special workhouses where they would have people. Uh, they would force prisoners to to just uh, do uh, Sisyphean tasks like. Uh, push water wheels uh, that actually didn't accomplish anything at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a form of torture, um, mm-hmm. you know, to keep people busy. They, the idea was that, uh, you know, that hard work uh, would um, set people free and uh, mm-hmm. give them a, a, a more moral uh, uh, basis for living. Well, to that point, the uh, New York Times article mentions that oftentimes these uh, programs are Stated the stated purpose is to serve as rehabilitation for inmates, but mm-hmm. there are many fire departments in California that will not hire you if you have a felony on your record. So they are right. being trained for a job they can't do outside of prison. Exactly. A lot of the jobs that they're doing are not going to be jobs they can have outside of prison because of that, I mean, because they've been incarcerated. And there are a whole number of issues <laughs> about finding work out after a life in prison. That's... A subject for another day, perhaps. Yeah, it's a it's an incredible source of of income generation for a certain stratum. Um, there's so many. I mean, we already know there's a prison industrial complex, which includes things like the contracts who build the prisons, which continues to be a lucrative business for you know, and it's a lot of crony capitalism involved. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the it's the motivations and the quotas for police and law enforcement to make sure that we're keeping our prisons. Full and overcrowded, and you know, if they're full and overcrowded, we have to build more. And of course, who's going to build those? Halliburton, whoever else is getting contracts to build the that, mm. the technologies involved, the security involved, all of that stuff. So money is going into the hands of contractors. Um, corporations are leveraging, and essentially a free, essentially a free service work, mm. workforce right there. Where there is a population that can be more easily exploited under the law or otherwise they will be exploited. Yeah. And I think that there's, that there is a, this goes to a certain um, feeling in American society uh, that work itself is a, uh, it's a way to, you know, like you say, really rehabilitate people. Uh, Many, you know, this is the Protestant work ethic that, uh, you know, work has its own inherent uh, moral quality to it. Um, <clears throat> there's also a, you know, there, the criticisms of this type of, um, of this type of labor, uh, you know, can you can look at it a, a number of different ways. On the one hand, there's the idea of a moral hazard, a social moral hazard, in that, <clears throat> and that's what you know you are getting at, Alfred, about. Um, this is lucrative, you know, in our, in our society, you know, it, 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 it fills a gap um, that our society has created. Um, but this, <clears throat> this moral hazard is the same moral hazard that exists in any labor process um, mm. because <clears throat> the constant push is to pay less and uh, import yeah. cheap goods so the workers themselves don't have to, uh, don't have to, spend too much money and then they can be paid less. So we have Walmarts across the country. Our ordinary workforce um, uh, it faces more or less the same moral, moral hazard. 
Um, it's just intensified uh, quite greatly in a prison, you know, prison labor type situation. Um, this is a feature of capitalism that uh, it, it maybe seem to be more glaring in the co context of a prison, but it is, uh, it, it's throughout industry and throughout uh, our society under capitalism. Yeah. When you talk about how this extends not just to prison labors, but to anyone working for any boss, there's a, a wonderful quote from another story that we are going to get to soon. Man says, uh, if working 40 hours a week constitutes a slave camp, then all of America is a slave camp. We will get to that story <laughs> after this break. Hey, listeners. Wayo FM is a volunteer, community, and most importantly, non-commercial radio station. We are dependent on support from our listeners. If you like Punching Out or if you like any of the other great shows in this station, please consider donating to donate.wayofm.org. Welcome back to Punching Out. Uh, when we left you before that break, we were discussing the work done by prisoners who are convicted of crimes, but the subject of prison labor lends into a work done by people who are not, whose criminality is more in question. We had discussed how America often views work as a punishment and those who are convicted of crime deserving of punishment. But there's a story in Reveal News that discusses people whose deservingness of punishment is more in question we should say so they're on a they're on the path possibly according to the way they're they're seen they are i mean they're whatever troubled. you feel about you know convicted criminals there are people in this story who aren't convicted and whose crimes are petty drug crimes often mm -hmm. the story is called they thought they were going to rehab they ended up in chicken plants and it discusses Christian addicts and alcoholics in recovery. Across the country, judges increasingly are sending defendants to rehab instead of prison or jail. These diversion courts have become the bedrock of criminal justice reform, aiming to transform lives and ease overcrowded prisons. But in the rush to spare people from prison, some judges are steering defendants into rehabs that are little more than lucrative work camps for private industry. The programs promise freedom from addiction, Instead, they've turned thousands of men and women into indentured servants. Yeah. There's so much you can say about the concept of rehabilitation, first with, with prison, um, because it's, the goal is not rehabilitation. The rates of recidivism for criminals are incredible. It's almost as though you're more likely to keep going back to prison the more you keep going to prison. Like, the more you're incarcerated, the more you're going to be incarcerated. I mean, it actually is a weird cumulative effect. So even the idea of rehabilitation is, is kind of ludicrous the way we do it. In this one in particular, this instance, there's a it's Christian. Yes. So it has different types of protections probably in terms of, you know, it may not be a whatever the five oh something religious organization, but there's a little bit it's it's almost like a sneaky way of of sugarcoating mm -hmm. the indentured servitude. Well it's 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 got a moral yes, purpose to um, these the people who go to these camps are not paid for labor that ends up serving the interests of uh, just a few companies that are named dropped here. Coca-Cola, Simmons Foods, which gives chicken to Walmart, KFC, Popeyes, and PetSmart. So 
the beneficiaries here are some of the biggest companies in the country. Mm-hmm. And the people involved are the people who are suffering for these big companies aren't being rewarded in any way for what is grueling, dangerous labor in chicken plants where, just to give one example of what can happen, this story so focuses on a man named Brandon McGahee who um, had his hand crushed in a machine designed to process chickens, basically. He broke several bones in his hand and nearly severed a tendon in his wrist. The next day, he was accused by those making him work that he was being lazy and faking his injury or injuring himself on purpose so as to get out of work. And he was told, you can either work or you can go to prison. And he chose prison. I think that, you know, poultry plants, uh, particularly in the South, are considered some of the worst Mm-hmm. Uh, workplaces uh, in the United States, um, and it isn't surprising to me at all that they have moved uh, to using uh, prison-type labor. Uh, they have uh, been wildly un- unsuccessful in uh, organizing unions in those plants, and uh, people, you know, th- there are regular uh, um, workplace safety violations, which <clears throat> under the current administration uh, probably are no longer violations, um, but those mm-hmm. those are considered and have long been considered meatpacking, and uh, this type of industry has long been considered one of the worst and most difficult uh, industries to work in, mm-hmm. and uh, now we have people working as uh, prison labor in, in there. To that point, uh, the story notes that over the years, Simmons Food has re- repeatedly laid off employees while expanding its use of this rehab facilities for work. And they have, they are so reliant on the program that some shifts would likely shut down if the men didn't show up. Yeah. So a corporate model that depends and relies on a steady stream of, you know, um, dispensable, but still necessary. I mean, it's similar to migrant workers doesn't really yes. matter what the migrant workers are. As long as we have people's bodies doing things, that's fine. We won't have to pay people actual living wages or anything. I, th- I think it's important, too, to uh, you know, make the point. These are large corporations that are benefiting. The day that Trump was elected, uh, the stock price of CoreCivic, formerly known as Correctional Corporation of America, um, leapt to 48%. Uh, <laughs> you know, in uh, anticipation of of the policies that he would no doubt be bringing to bear uh, on this this, uh, topic. Um, This is a billion-dollar industry, and uh, they're they're looking for great windfalls under uh, President Trump. Yeah, there's almost nothing in... There was nothing in his platform. There's certainly nothing in his administration that suggests any type of reform of any kind, any kind of monitor, any kind of regulation. I mean, it's the gloves are off, the regulation's gone. I mean, everybody, it wasn't just core civic the day that Trump got elected. You can be sure that a lot of industries and a lot of crony capitalists got, um, I won't use the word, but parts of their body swelled to epic proportions at the thought of Trump being the president. Um, 
yes, the the Obama administration had made motions, at least, towards you know not using for-profit prisons on the federal level. But as soon as Trump took office, that went by the wayside. Yeah, I mean, there's prisons always been a problem. I mean, and it's not just federal prisons, and you know, there's jails and other and other and there's places like Guantanamo Bay, and there's yeah. you know, we have a whole other industry around incarcerating war criminals or suspected terrorists or any of that. Um, they don't make them work. They just punish them 24-7. Now, the point about stock prices, I think, is interesting because, I mean, who are stockholders? They're not, you know, people who necessarily are adamant about, you know, prison labor. Hell yeah. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're people who have 401ks and don't necessarily know what's in those stock portfolios yeah. that they own. It's, they their, are, it's the people who manage their portfolios that, that know a little bit more. But Even then, you know, there's... They're they're a symbol and not necessarily what the company produces. Well, um, it shows the, it shows that to me the fundamental reason neoliberalism has managed to sustain itself is that at every turn and twist they have gained the opportunity to to game the system. They've they've created the rules and can alter the rules at any point. This is what their power is. The power of this neoliberal administration, whether it's Obama or Trump or anybody or Clinton, this was. This was the the goal was to own. It's not the means of production. It's sort of the means of the means of production. And we can say that you know this is sort of a moral rot in our society, and the response is, but what if we monetize the rot? Um, mm. It's you know there are always people looking to make a buck off of the worst parts of our society necessarily, and 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 in a way it's inescapable. As you know, I said it's. People who don't necessarily know what's in their stock portfolio, who own, you but, know. But it's a series of loop. But the whole thing's a series of loopholes. I mean, the Thirteenth Amendment's a loophole. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, a loophole. It's perfect. It solves one. It, it sort of quells one issue, while sneaking in this other issue that is harder to sort of because now you're talking about business. You're not talking about the immorality of slavery. Mm-hmm. You're talking about business. Right. It. It. It sort of implicates us all. We talked earlier how, you know, this uh, rehab center sends its chicken to Walmart and KFC and Popeyes, and I happen to quite like Popeyes. <laughs> you know, it, it's, you know, there, there's no escaping sort of the tendrils of, you know, this sort of labor, whatever your mm-hmm. opinions are on it. I mean, you're not going to say, okay, wildfire, burn my house down because you're a opposed to the use of prisoners fighting those wildfires. Well, and, and you know, another another factor is that, you know, we, we talk about, uh, you know, jobs going overseas. A lot of these jobs were done by people in rural and, uh, you know, outlying areas and factories. Those factories have moved overseas or they've moved down south. And now, you know, in a place like Albion, New York, or, um, you know, other, other places, you know, in upstate New York the prisons are one of the largest, if not the largest mm-hmm. employer. Yeah. And so people need jobs and, you know, the prison unions are incredibly powerful. Um, and, and people rely on these things for their, their means of support. And so, you know, and, and they don't have a whole lot of alternatives. Uh, so, and you know, it, everybody gets sucked into this. It's sort. similar to say the fossil fuel industry in some areas, the, military, you know, weapons manufacturing industry, whatever your opinions are on what these industries produce, and we can say, you know, it's terrible. There are, 
it is always opposed in those communities to, well, do you want no jobs around? Yeah, you want to starve to death? I, you know, they, they call it disaster capitalism, but it's, it's not disaster capitalism, it's business as usual. Um, you know, the, the rise of capitalism uh, was, you know, went hand in hand with uh, imperialism, plunder, wars, and uh, basically stealing. And, and this is just another example of that. It gets, seems to get more somewhat subtle as time goes on, but uh, um, this is just part and parcel with business as usual. It's a little harder to hide it. I mean, it's more subtle, but it's also a little bit tougher to disguise because we have uh, more ubiquitous forms of communication. So it's a little harder to hide. But just knowing something doesn't change people's actions necessarily. Now, when you talk about it being harder to hide now in this era of, you know, the Internet and communication, there are also, I mean, I think people are getting less, at, either they're worse at hiding it or they're not trying to hide it. In the Trump era, nobody's trying to hide anything ugly like this. Just a couple of days ago, there was a story that came across on MSN about a Louisiana sheriff who, um, well, put it out in the open. And he says, uh, you know, they were discussing, you know, prison and um, parole reforms, which would ostensibly reduce Louisiana's prison population. And he talked about, you know, in addition to the bad ones, they are releasing some of the good ones that we use every day to wash cars, to change the oil in our cars, <laughs> to cook in the kitchen, <laughs> to do all that where we save money. The good ones are the ones you can work. That's the one that you can have pick up trash or work the police programs. But guess what? Those are the ones they're releasing. So we talk about perverse incentives, but there's also, well, a very real reason why he is concerned about losing those prisoners. Right. We discussed earlier the slashing of budgets and the, you know, cutting of, uh, you know, uh, social spending in the United States. And this is, uh, you know, uh, th this this sheriff is depending completely on this labor, you know, in order to uh, get the work done that needs to get done in his county. And, uh, you know, you can you can almost understand in a perverse way why, you know, why he's worried about this. If he does, you know, without this labor the work isn't going to get done because there's no money to do it. I, I can't help, though, but listening to those comments that he said, that it, it sounds very racial to me. Like, it sounds like the kind of thing you would have heard in, like, the early 20th century. Like, no, they're the good ones. They're the ones that work. They're, like, there's that, that right. and it doesn't, and not just applying to, to, you know, people of color, but even the poor whites, for example. Like, they're the good ones. They work. They're, you know, like, and he said, the ones that we can work. I mean, think about that statement, like, they're the ones we can work. Like, wow. <laughs> it, in a way, it's worse because he's worried about losing the ones who are ostensibly the most, the ones Louisiana is willing to say, okay, you shouldn't be in prison. Um, the point had been brought up in the uh, New York Times article about firefighters is that, you know, these people are, these are people they were willing to give axes and chainsaws out in public. And, you know, why are they behind so it's, bars in it's, the first place? Right, right. It's cherry picking, though, in that case. Like, these are the, the, the ones that'll work, the good ones, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, they're, the other side of that is the ones who maybe are least deserving of being in prison. Yeah, who may also be just the most resistant for a reason. Right. And, and Louisiana in particular has a long history of uh, prison abuses and uh, corruption and, 
you know, any number of different uh, issues. They, they have some of the most, uh, you know, infamous prisons in, in the United States and have for 100, 200 years. Mm-hmm. And Louisiana weather um, particularly makes them brutal given the heat and humidity. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are concerned about police reform, there are organizations that m- you may be interested in. Some of them, I mean, you go online, you can check them out. There are organizations such as Enough is Enough, which is a, is a local Rochester group. There's um, IWOC and IWOC. I don't know what the acronym stands for exactly. Um, it's another group that's looking at this. There are lots of groups around the country who uh, understand. I mean, the Southern Poverty Law Center is a good place to look at this kind of stuff, too. Um, right. I think that if you, you know, if you spend a little bit of time online, if you're interested in this, topic, you'll find no shortage of uh, organizations that you might be able to, uh, you know, might be interested in. So on what has been a show about a very bleak subject, this little bit of hope might be a good place to leave us off. I'm Ryan. I'm Alfred. And I'm Tom. This was Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. <laughs>